With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Marinero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. LaFleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into LaMere back to LaFleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> you know, I, 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 There's a bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked a young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's gonna be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast, and I am back on this Thursday, December 22nd. It is 10.01 p.m. Eastern time, and the sick podcast, of course, as I fix my shirt, is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different, as well as these guys, 8.6 beer, intense by nature, the beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark, and Lacage, where the Marineros tonight had Lacage takeout, to tell you the truth. You know that you can do that? They have this great app, by the way, on your phone, and you can order whatever you want. You can reserve a table, any location, and uh, you can take out, deliver, all that stuff. And if the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the Cup, it's time you go back to Lacage. The menu will surprise you. I am back, and for those of you who are wondering, um, been a tough couple of days. I've <laughs> I was able to uh, escape COVID up until this past week, and this week it hit me for the very first time. And um, at one point, it hit me pretty hard. And so uh, I almost feel like it's kind of like a miracle that I'm able to do the show tonight. Um, up until an hour ago, I had like a just a terrible, 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 terrible headache. Uh, but that's subsided. It's still there a little bit. But I want to take this one for the team. And I want to thank Matt O'Han for filling in um, on, when was it? On um, Monday, Tuesday, 
Wednesday. I think he filled in three days this week. Yeah, that's right. Saturday night, um, I was working and I uh, made my way home uh, from the Bell Center. I did a hit on television and uh, it was probably about 5.45 p.m. or so. I was in my truck and I was starting to get the chills and uh, my body wasn't reacting all that well. So I, um, I arrived home for 6 p.m. I took a hot shower and I went straight to bed. The following day was the uh, the World Cup final, and I watched it in bed. I didn't have a lot of strength to get up. Uh, I watched it in bed, and as the day progressed, um, my body started to feel like it got hit by a truck. And uh, it I had a lot of general body soreness, as you can imagine. Monday morning, I woke up. Um, I felt I was losing my voice, but I had enough left to do my hit on radio, and I did that. And then as the day I went on, um, my, I was losing my voice. Then my throat was on fire. Then my throat felt like it was, you know, like in really, really bad shape inside. The headaches got worse, um, the chills. And then I don't think, I think it was on Tuesday night. At one point, I had a really tough time breathing. I was just sitting up in my bed and I was watching TV between 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. And it's it's the one moment where I was, I think, most thankful that I actually had sleep apnea because I used the CPAP machine to give me a little bit of, uh, to help with my breathing for about four hours while I was watching television. Usually I wear that to sleep, but I was, I wore that while I was awake. Anyway, uh, and, um, you know, I've been getting better and better and better. And today I'm, I'm at my best. So, uh, hopefully this thing is uh, a thing of the past. I, um, I, um, I'm going to test a little bit later on to see if, uh, you know, I'm finally negative, but, um, if not, I hope I will be in the next couple of days or so, but, uh, that's it. So that's my story. And I don't want to bore you with that any longer. Uh, I want to talk to you, uh, about the Habs tonight, and we're going to talk about more than the Habs because there's a lot going on, especially in the city of Montreal. And when I say Montreal, one of the first guys I think about is Stu Cowan of HockeyInsideOut.com and the Montreal Gazette newspaper. Hey, if you think it's cold in Montreal, supposedly it's colder in Dallas. It is It is minus 10 here, and it feels like it's about minus 20. And wow. everywhere I've gone with the Canadians this season, the cold weather has followed me, whether it was Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg. Last yesterday in Denver, I went for a walk in the afternoon. It was about 12 degrees Celsius. Beautiful day. When we came out of the rink last night, it was minus 26. Oh my God! So it's uh, and the same sort of, I guess, deep freeze has hit uh, Dallas here also. So uh, this is not normal temperatures for Dallas. So this is my first time here. One of the few NHL cities I hadn't been to yet. Uh, yeah, but it's chilly. Guess what? Everyone's talking about back home as far as the Canadians are concerned. Uh, I'll, I'll take it. Let me know. I haven't been home for a while. <laughs> Anthony Richard. Ah, the first goal, his first goal. And what a goal. I mean, uh, boy, he, he, it's rare you see an NHL player blow past two defensemen at center ice like that, like they're standing still, and then go in and make a nice move like he did. It was, uh, it was a real nice move. And he's got, you know, when they called him up, they said they were looking for him to add some speed and some offense, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, you know, he's got one more goal now than Yola yeah. and Jonathan Drouin and Jake yeah. Evans. And that's been a big problem with this team is they've been getting zero yeah. offense from their bottom six forwards. So for Richard, you got to be happy for the kid. Here's a kid. A kid is 26 years old. Yeah. 
He only played two games in the NHL before joining the Canadians. He played four minutes in one game with Nashville and seven minutes in another game with Nashville, and that was it. So Marty St. Louis is giving him a chance to show what he can do. And uh, from my dealings with him, he seems like a really nice kid. Uh, happy to see him get his first goal, and hopefully he can, yeah. he's the kind of player that the Canadians can use right now. I want to get to Drew and Armia in just a second, but before I do, I'll say this too. I don't know about you, but I liked Anthony Richard in preseason. Well, he had that big game. It was the red versus white scrimmage. Yeah. He had a really good game. He looked good during uh, camp. Uh, they didn't have a spot for him right there. He's one of those guys, you know, you get sort of penciled in as a career minor leaguer. And that's sort of what he was when the Canadians signed them to play for Laval. They had success last season in Laval by getting a lot of local guys, a lot of Quebec guys who were happy to come back home and play at home and performed really well and went pretty far in the playoffs. And they signed him, I think, for that reason. Uh, but one thing the Canadians have done with this new management team is if guys show that they can play and they deserve an opportunity, they get it. Arbor Jackai, who thought Arbor Jackai was going to make this team? Yeah. He made the team over Justin Barron, the guy that they traded Arturi Lekkanen to get. So the Canadians, this yeah. new management team has shown that if guys perform well and work hard, they're going to get a chance. And, and Marty St. Louis spoke in Arizona this week. He said that sends a good message to the guys down in Laval that they know if they work hard and perform, they might get a chance. And it also sends a message to the guys of the Canadians. If you don't, you might lose your spot to one of these kids from Laval. So it's a good situation yeah. the Canadians have set up right now. Yeah, I remember in uh, in uh, training camp in Brassard, um, you and I, uh, we were standing next to each other at one point on one particular day, and the Richard was on the ice. I really liked him. Uh, his speed was apparent. Uh, he was tenacious. He was in on the four check and just the way he played his speed, his pace, his hunger. I said, you know what? This kind of guy that's energy player, this kind of guy that Marty St. Louis is going to want on his team because this team's going to skate. I was, uh, I'm not going to say I was shocked that he didn't make it because the odds were against him. Um, but I'm, I'm happy he got his shots too. I think it's, it's long overdue. I think out of all the players in Laval, he's been the guy. At the same time, as much as I was happy that he scored, you know how this city is, right? Ryan Paling plays his first game with the Canadians. He scores three goals mm -hmm. and another one in the shootout. And all of a sudden, expectations are high with the fan base. When you're a French-Canadian player, expectations are very, very high, obviously, with the French media. And, uh, you know, so much so that some are going as far as to say that Hey, let's put Anthony Richard on the first line with Suzuki and Caulfield. And by the way, not to say it's not a good idea because it very well could be, but, you know, the odds always say that when a guy's 26 too and he's only got 11 minutes of ice time at the National Hockey League level combined over two games that chances are he's not an NHL. -er. It's not impossible that he is for him. For his sake, I hope that he is, too, because, like you said, he seems like a really likable guy and stuff like that. But Well, it, but, it happens. When I spoke with him in Arizona, maybe five minutes, just one-on-one -on -one talking with him, and he said when he first signed with the Canadians, his parents were concerned. He's from Trois-Rivières, and his parents know the pressure, not just playing for the Canadians, but also playing in Laval. There's a lot more media covering Laval than in most other a AHL cities. So his parents were concerned, but he said he, he wanted that. He wanted to have that little chip on his shoulder. He wanted to have the pressure of coming back and playing at home. But you're right. He's a 26-year-old guy. He had two games in the NHL. As I mentioned earlier, you get that tag of being a career minor leaguer. The thing I really like about him is he uses his speed all over the ice. He uses his speed when he doesn't have the puck. He's quick on the back check. He's quick on the forecheck. 
And when I asked him about the sort of style of play, he said he has sort of two types of games he can play. If you put him in the bottom six, he'll be an in-your-face, uh, uh, stir things up, uh, energy type of guy. And if you put him with good players on a power play, he has the offensive skill that he can play there also. And we saw that offensive skill and that goal he scored. That was a goal scorer's goal. Yeah. But again, expectations have to stay calm for him. Um, Marty St. Louis, I, I missed this part because he was. I was speaking with – uh, I was doing an interview with Cole Caulfield when uh, Richard started his interview with the French guys. But Luke Gellino was telling me last night that when they uh, were talking, he, he, Marty St. Louis basically told Richard, play your game. Don't play the, don't play the game to please your coach. Don't play a game to please me. Play your game. That's yeah. why we called you up. We want you to play your game. And how many coaches are going to tell a kid that? And he had said that what a, a relief that was to him just to go out and play his game because he said maybe in Nashville he was trying to play to please the coach as opposed to just playing the way he wants to play. And it reminded me when I spoke with Jordan mm-hmm. Harris when he was first called up, uh, when he came up from Northeastern University, and he said St. Louis told him, you're going to make three or four mistakes every game. Don't worry about it. Go out there, play your game. You're going to make your mistakes. We'll deal with the mistakes. I don't want – he doesn't want players playing afraid to make mistakes. And it's why we see them scoring a lot of goals. It's why we see them sometimes giving up leads because they're, they're, they're playing more of an open uh, style of play. But it's been fun to watch. And for a guy like Richard, this is the opportunity that – as he said, mentally, the last couple of years were really hard for him. You know, you start realizing that I'm maybe never going to play another game in the NHL. Then you get that chance. Yeah. Not only that chance, but that chance with the team you grew up cheering for. Uh, you know, it's funny. I'd ask him, I said, there's no relation to Maurice and Irene. He says, no. Yeah. He says, well, when I was a kid growing up, one of my buddies, my friends, my brother's friends used to call me Maurice because I was the best player in, uh, in his group of friends. So when he did make the team, uh, the buddy texted him and said, finally, Maurice is on the Canadians. So it's, as I said, it's a nice story. It's a good story. And if awesome. you really see the kid, and the other thing, uh, Mark Antoine Godin of uh, the Athletic asked Marty Saint Louis last night if he sees comparisons or similarities between Richard and Paul Byron, and he says, "Yeah, he does." And you can see them that that burst of speed, that ability to get, to get open when there is a spot, working hard uh, all over the ice. So you know, Paul Byron uh, was an different size, player. though, obviously, right? Different, different size. size. But if you want to make a comparison, you know, people are the pressure on him. Paul Byron's a comparison for this guy. Paul Byron's a guy who can be a good yeah. fourth liner. He can play up in a top six if you need him to, but he's just a, a, a guy who generates, a, he buzzes all over the ice and, and creates havoc. And if he gets a scoring chance, he can score. So I think that's the type of player that Richard uh, can be for the Canadians. I remember when Matthew Darsh got called up to the Canadians, and it's not to compare Matthew Darsh to, uh, to Anthony Richard, because obviously they're different players with a different skill set. Um, but, in the end, I think they're both, you know, role players on a team. But Darsh was such a likable guy and such an honest worker. And he wore the Canadian's jersey with a lot of pride. And I think in that respect, Richard's going to be similar to him. Yeah, and the other thing Marty St. Louis mentions very often is he always says, I want everyday guys on this team. Meaning he wants guys who don't have big egos, guys who basically yeah. guys aren't jerks, right? Guys are everyday, everyday type of people that people can relate to and get along in the room. And they have a lot of them in this locker room. You know, I'm around this team on a daily basis, and there's a there's a just it's a real breath of fresh air in the locker room with these young guys. Yeah. They're happy to be there. Um, they're 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 polite kids to be around. They're just they're, they just seem like good people. And they're smart hockey players, too. You look at the four rookies playing on defense. They're really smart. You watch them with the puck. Uh, Kovacevic is a smart hockey player. Caden Goulet is a smart hockey player. Jordan Harris is a smart hockey player. They're also smart guys when you talk to them off the ice. They're just it's uh-huh. it's, it's they've got a group of good people 
in this locker room now. And I think moving forward, you obviously need talent, but and they got a lot of talent too. Caden Gooley, Jordan Harris, uh, Arbor Jack, I think his talent is underestimated. He's a good hockey player. But yeah. Building this team moving forward, it's a young group of guys that have talent. Um, they seem to be just good guys. They get along together really well, it seems. And there's sort of a, a family atmosphere that Marty St. Louis has created in the locker room. And as I said, it's it, from what it was in the past, it's just a really nice breath of fresh air being around this team now. You brought up a couple of names before. One was Jonathan Drew and one was Yoel Armia. The reason being is that they don't have any goals. And Anthony Richard gets called up in his second game. He's already got a goal, one more than them. Drouin's been good since he came back. Drouin, if he would have scored that goal last night in overtime, we're talking about an end-to-end rush there. He had a chance earlier, and he should have shot. He tried to pass to Dadanov. He should have shot the puck. And that's one of the things with Jonathan since he's come here. He doesn't shoot the puck enough. He's always looking to make that pass. And if he would shoot the puck and be a little bit more selfish, he'd have more goals. But, you know, Jonathan Drouin has worked his butt off the last few games. The goals haven't come. The offense hasn't come. He's making a lot of money. People look at the points and the Canes were paying him. That contract that Mark Bergeron gave him was to put points on the board. It hasn't been happening, but it's hard to criticize a player when he's working his butt off. And that has been a criticism of Drouin in the past. There were games where he didn't, but he's really been working hard recently. He's had some solid back checks. He's been more aggressive in puck battles than he has been in the past. He's maybe realizing, I mean, this could be his last season in the NHL, right? I mean, he's a free agent after this season. Yeah. How much interest is there going to be in him with the way he's played the last little while, the injuries he's had, everything else? So he's working hard. I can't, uh, you know, when a player's working hard, it's hard to knock him. Uh, Jake Evans has been working hard. The goals haven't come. Dadnov is working hard. Just the game's gotten too quick for him. He's, you know, one of those guys that gets old fast. He's yeah. one of those. The thing that drives me crazy with Armia watching him is that he doesn't look like he's working hard that often. Uh, after the morning skate, uh, still yeah. I can't take him anymore. They, I was going to get well, to my honestly, after the morning skate yesterday. After I don't know if you've read the story I had on uh, Hockey Inside Out or on Montreal Gazette, but uh, Marty St. Louis had about a 15 minute conversation one on one with Armia after the optional morning skate yesterday. And when we I asked him about it afterwards, and it was all positive. He was telling Armia, "Have fun, enjoy this." Don't, you don't want to end your NHL career and look back and you didn't have fun. St. Louis said, it's a grind, but you got to enjoy it. He's tried to give him a, like a confidence boost. Like, just go out there and have fun and play. And Armia goes out there, he doesn't get a shot on goal. But who and do you, who, Stu, who do you say that to, right? When someone loves the game and mm-hmm. someone has fun playing the game, you don't have to tell them to go out there and enjoy it and have fun because they love it and they enjoy oh, it. You, you say that to oh, someone when you have doubts whether or not they love the game. Well, they're trying to get something out of Armia. And, I mean, he is who he is at this point, right? I mean, I don't yes. think he's going to change. I think the Canadians are trying to play him in the power play. St. Louis is giving him a pep talk because they want to get – I think they just want to get rid of him. Of course. But they can't get rid of him unless he starts doing something. Right of now course. they're stuck with him. he got two more years at $3.4 million. Just yeah. a horrible contract that Mark Bergevin gave him. And that contract paved the way to Arturi Lekkinen leaving because Lekkinen – Contract talks coming up. He's going to want more than Yoel Armia, and rightfully so. He's of worth course. a lot Better more. Player. He can't afford to pay Lekin and Anna Armia that both that kind of money. So they yeah. picked the version. I picked the wrong guy. You should yeah. have locked up uh, Lekin and let Armia go, but that didn't happen. And Armia is just he has talented teases. I think it was Mike Johnson had that line on TSN. Talented teases. I watch him in practice, and my god, he's got the size, the skill, the shot. We saw him in the playoffs when, you know, playing on that line with uh, Stahl and uh, Corey Perry. You couldn't get the puck yeah. off. What do you want? But then 
that's what got him the contract, and then it just disappeared. I think I might have told you this on the podcast. What the ladies say about me, by the way, Stu? I have talent that teases. <laughs> there you talent go. Talent that teases. But I, I've, I've joked before. I might uh, no. I think Corey Perry maybe threatened to stick him in practice if he didn't skate. Because how do you? He, he worked hard during that playoff run, and then Corey Perry leaves, and Yol Armia goes back to being Yol Armia. But at this point, I think the Canadians would just like to move on from him. He's one of those players that you know Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon got stuck with. Yeah. Guy that they signed, and I honestly think they really they don't know what to do with them. They're trying everything. Um, you know, Marty St. Louis had conversation with them uh, yesterday after the morning skate, just try and give them something to maybe light a fire under them. You know, yeah. Instead of giving them a kick in the butt, they give them a you know Marty gave them a pat on the back and told them to go out and have fun, and and it it just you know nothing came of it. And it's uh, and at this point in Army's career. You know, there's reasons why he was a 16th overall pick by the Buffalo Sabres. Uh-huh. I know one scout told me at the World Juniors he was a stud. He was dominant. He looked amazing. And he just hasn't been able to – you know, I, I've written this before. He's a man of very few words when you talk to him. He's one of the worst interviews you'll ever have. I think he's a little shy. Yeah. Uh, as I've written, he's a big, nice, shy guy who plays hockey like a big, nice, shy guy. Doesn't yeah, and that's, uh, that's, that's not good. And Look, that's not good. So far this road trip, which saw the Canadians open up in Arizona on Monday, play in Colorado yesterday. We'll be in Dallas tomorrow night. Then they'll have four days off for the Christmas holidays. Then they're in Tampa Bay on Wednesday of next week. Next Thursday, they visit the Panthers in Florida. And then the following Saturday afternoon, um, that's going to be on the 31st, they're going to be playing the Capitals in Washington. On the Tuesday, January 3rd, they're going to be in Nashville versus the Predators. Um, I didn't think that this road trip would see the Canadians have three points after two games. I could have believed a win in Arizona. Mind you, they could have easily lost that game. Well, the reason, reason they have three points. <laughs> that's, ex- that's exactly what I'm getting at. And, you know, Stu, if I could talk to Kent Hughes or Jeff Gordon, um, and we can have an off-the-record conversation. I would tell them, guys, I think I understand everything you're trying to accomplish until I take a look at the goaltending situation. You guys are trying to rebuild. Everyone knows that. You're not really coming out and saying it, but everyone knows that. Jeff Gordon made it apparent to me on the podcast about a month ago when I said, hypothetically, you're in a playoff spot or a couple of points out one week before the deadline. Are you buying or selling? And he didn't want to answer the question. Mm -hmm. And for me, if the goal is to make the playoffs and not rebuild, the answer is obvious. You're buying. Because he didn't give me an answer, it led me to believe that he didn't give me an answer because he knew he was going to be quoted on what he said, and he knew a lot of people weren't going to like the answer, which would have been, we're going to sell. So he very diplomatically didn't answer the question and skated around it, right? Well, they've, uh, they're, they've been on it. They're rebuilding. I mean, there's no, there's no but, doubt they're rebuilding. Perfect, but here's what I don't understand. You want to rebuild. You want to get as good a pick as possible, right? Your goalies are giving you a chance to pick up points in every game. I don't understand as much as I like Jake Allen, and I know the argument's going to come up, yeah, but if you put a goalie who's not that good in nets, it's going to burn the kids and burn their confidence and burn this and burn that. 
But I mean, finish at the bottom of the standings and worry about everything else after. Jake Allen almost stole two points last night. He stole a point. He almost stole two. I I, I don't know, man. I, I don't I, I, I don't I don't get that one. I to me, Tony, you go out and you try and win games. With young guys, you don't want to get a look at what's happening in Buffalo. Look what's happening in Edmonton. You get all these top picks. It doesn't always work because you get a losing atti- attitude in the room. We saw what a losing attitude does to a locker room last year with the Canadians, right? Can I guys counter? don't care anymore. Can I you counter? Got, the guys don't care anymore. The, the, the goalies they have now, give them a chance to win. And that's what you want, young team, when you're rebuilding. You want to have a chance to win. You don't want what we saw last year when the Canes lost 7-1 to New Jersey. Sam Montembo got run over by Zach Cassian. Nobody did anything. That's bad. That's here's, really here's bad. my counter, Stu. That's worse, that's worse than winning games. And maybe and, – and it's a draft lottery, too. I mean, they because you finished last doesn't guarantee you're going to get the lottery. Pick. It did last. The Canes got it last year, but it doesn't I, I hear you. Stu, here's my counter, though. The Penguins were terrible for years, mm-hmm. and they too would have that. You know what? They're, 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 that's it's not good when you have that kind of culture that they were terrible for years. But, but there was rebuilding. Rebuilding saw them win three Stanley Cups. I get it. They had one. But they also got Mario Lemieux when they tanked, and you get you were guaranteed the number one pick when you finished last. They won the lottery with Sidney Crosby. No, yeah, but with Mar- we'll go back going back to Mario Lemieux. That was the ultimate tank job. There was never a bigger tank. No, job. no, no. That's per- but I'm not talking about those. Okay, yeah. so the, the Penguins won the cup in '91 and '92 with Mario, and then in the early 2000s, okay, even mm-hmm. with Mario on the team, I believe they 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 tanked and they went with a rebuild. They went with a rebuild. They got rid of a bunch of veteran players. They went with a rebuild. They did the rebuild. They were bad for several years. And then they ended up drafting Marc-Andre Fleury, number one, Evgeny Malkin, number two, Jordan Stahl, number two. They win the lottery with Crosby at number one. They go on to win three Stanley Cups. The the Chicago Blackhawks were terrible for years. And then they end up drafting Kane at one and Taves at three. And then they turn it around and they end up winning three Stanley Cups, I believe. Um but, I, I understand your point. You don't. You but, don't have to tank to rebuild. You, to, to follow that up, the Canadians have Kirby Doc, number three overall pick. Already, yes. right? They have Nick Suzuki, a first round pick. They have Cole Caulfield, a first round pick. Yes. Ule, a first round pick. They have a lot of young talent already. They're far ahead in a rebuilding process to what the Penguins were. Even when I'll, they got I'll, I'll even add to that, Stu, for to, so that, to, that, to cement your point. I'll even add to that. You got that. Justin Barron in Laval. A first round pick. They yeah. have a ton of first round picks already, as opposed to tanking to get one guy. Everybody seems to think Connor Bedard is going to come into the NHL and that's going to be it. Well, people thought the same thing about Alex Lafreniere, who's like a third line winger right now in New York. There's yeah. never a guarantee for an 18 year old coming into the NHL what he's going to do. Connor Bedard is an exceptional talent. I think he'll be a really good hockey player. Connor McDavid's the best hockey player in the NHL. Have the Edmonton Oilers really done anything with him? No. So to me, Rebuilding doesn't. Then he's a joy to watch, though. Still, he is, but he's, but he's a joy to watch. Winning. Rebuilding to me is about smart management, and the Canadians have smart management right now. Yeah, two, I'll love uh, first round picks. I might get another one uh, if Sean Monahan can get healthy and move forward. So they're 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 piling up all these young 20, 21, 22, 23 year old kids instead of having one kid so-called superstar number one draft pick, they're going to have about seven or eight guys who are first or second round picks all around the same age group 
all with manageable salaries for a couple of years, which frees up some money for free agents. You know, there'd be a lot of money coming off the cap this summer. Yeah. Um, so th- there's different ways to go about rebuilding. And if you can rebuild while maintaining a winning attitude and a winning atmosphere in the locker room, to me, that's the way to go. And- I'll, actually, I'll actually say something to support your point. Not only do they have a lot of first-round picks, you can make an argument that when you look now, Caden Gooley should have been a lot better than 16th. Oh. And Caulfield I mean, should have been a lot better than 15th. And Suzuki should have been a lot better than 13th. However, I mean, I mean, Kirby Doc's still questionable at number three. I mean, we don't even know if he's going to develop into a number two center he, yet. He's a Kirby Doc's what the way the way he has improved or what, the way he has played. I mean, remember that uh, phone call uh, the Kings did that video after the draft and they had yeah. uh, Ken Hughes on the phone with Kirby Doc and he says, you're going to love our coach. And Kirby Doc has been really good. He's a smart hockey player. That's one of the reasons he can play with Caulfield and Suzuki. He can think the game as fast as they do. Um, he, that was a great pickup. He's 21 years old. People forget he's 21 years old. He was playing in the NHL when he was 18 years old. They've accumulated all, you know, Caden Goulet is 20 years old. Jordan Harris is 22, I think, or 20. They're, they're, these kids are young and they're good. Yeah. And they're getting lots of ice time. They have four. I mean, how many teams in the NHL could play four rookie defensemen and be a 500 team in the NHL today? Not a lot. And the Canadians are, have done that this season. The, the four rookie defensemen have been the biggest surprise of all. I mean, our well, we two goalies who are not known as number ones. No, we knew. Well, we. I mean, Sam Monta was been night and day from last year. I mean, he played through that painful wrist injury last year and that yeah that was one of the reasons he i mean he told me every time he made a blocker save he was worried how much it was going to hurt that's a tough way to play goalie uh he's been great this season jake allen's been a little hot and cold but he's been more, more good than bad um and the deep as i said what a waiver pickup uh, kovacevic was and that's kent hughes knowing him a little bit from his university background and knowing university people around the game who had seen this kid and he's a really like one of the smartest guys you'll talk to in the locker room really intelligent guy really nice guy his teammates love him smart on the ice as i was mentioning early they have all these young guys and it's it's they've been a fun team to watch and they've been a, as i mentioned earlier they've been a fun team to, to be around and they're building something here and smart man as i said Smart management. I'll take a smart management team over a management team that comes in and says we're going to tank any day of the week. In in the NHL with a draft lottery, there's no guarantees what's going to happen in the draft. Even if you get the number one pick, there's no guarantee. Alex Lafreniere, uh, Nail Yakupov, fail for Nail. Um, it doesn't but, always work. But, but, but Stu, if I can, if I mm-hmm. can, I hear you, but Connor Bedard's not in the in the same stratosphere as as. Uh, in the, you know, uh, well, Yakupov, also, Yakupov and Lafreniere are not in the same stratosphere. Connor Bedard has time. amazing talent. Connor Bedard is also what five foot eight. And realize, like, not I'm not sure his size. He's not a big kid. Um, Cole Coffey is the Canadians' coach. He's in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. No, but but I'm just saying, there's never there's no guarantees on eighteen year old kids coming into the NHL how they're going to do. You look at no. Slavkovsky coming in. Uh, Kane thought he was the best eighteen year old player in the world. They drafted him number one. Uh, the NHL game looks too fast for them. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't send them to the World Juniors. I think they should have. Uh, it's a big jump going from an 18-year-old going from playing junior hockey to playing for the NHL. I don't care how good you are. I mean, Sidney Crosby and, and Connor McDavid are really exceptions. They're bigger. They're also bigger kids than what Connor Bedard is or what Cole Caulfield was. And Cole Caulfield struggled his first season. Some of that's on Dominic Ducharme, obviously. Some of it is just on yeah. the kid coming in and playing in the NHL. It's not easy. So, again, I think uh, the way the – 
Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes and Marty St. Louis are all on the same page with how they want to rebuild this team. Yeah. Marty St. Louis put it best. We want to get better every day. And to me, you don't want to get worse. You don't want to get worse in tank. You want to get better every day. How much better? Maybe it's just little baby steps, which is what, you know, the Canes, somebody was asking me today, do you think they'll make the playoffs? And I said, no, because they need to go on about a six or seven game winning streak to get into a solid playoff spot. They're not good enough to do that. But they're not going to lose six or seven in a row. I mean, that win the other night in Arizona was huge. They'd lost three in a row. You're going on first of seven games on the road. Remember what happened last year? Three losses turned into four, which turned into six, which turned into eight, which yeah. turned into players not wanting to have, you know, Josh Anderson, we're not having fun coming to the rink anymore. You want these young guys to have fun coming to the rink, and they are having fun coming to the rink. Win or lose. We're putting up a fight, and to me, I just I, I think they're going about it the right way. So I'm going to say this about Slavkovsky. Um, I would have sent him to Laval some time ago. And it's it's not because he's not a good player, because obviously he is. But because the game is so fast and he has that habit, which he hasn't been able to break yet, of either holding on to the puck too long or not having his head up yeah. and he's getting hit. I worry he's going to get hurt. He's on getting hit and hit and hit. And I'm sitting at home on my leather sofa which is about 20 years old now, reclinable. It's, it's gone a long while, but I think it needs to be replaced, okay? It's, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching him get hit and hit and hit, and I'm saying to myself, it's a matter of time that this guy is going to get hurt. It's going to be a concussion. It's not going to be a good one, and it could end up affecting you know the rest of his season or the next two years or maybe even – even longer. And, and look, I'm, I'm a worry wart. Okay. I'm, I'm always more negative than positive when it comes to that stuff. I don't know why I wish I wouldn't, but for me, it's so obvious that he has a bad habit. It needs to be fixed. And until it's fixed, the fact that he's playing in the fastest league in the world, it's, it's just, it's not conducive. It's a double wham. It's not good. Like game, nothing good that's going to come out of it. And I don't understand why they don't send them to a league that is slower so that the chances of that happening are less likely. I don't understand. The game's moving too fast for him, especially in his own end. When the puck comes around the boards to him, uh, he's on a smaller rink. Uh, the game is quicker. Um, he's, he's just not reacting quick enough. He's 18 years old. Um, and yeah, he's been rocked hard at least half a dozen times this year. And the last two games, he just missed getting rocked in both games by a hair. And he's just, it reminds me a little bit of Eric Lindros who would skate with his head down. And part of the reason was when Eric Lindros was 16 years old, he was already like 200 pounds and anybody who did hit him would bounce off him. And I think it's a similar thing yeah. with Slavkovsky. when he did get hit, whatever levels he played before the guys would bounce off him. The NHL, they don't bounce off him. He, he he goes down. Thankfully, he's as big, so the hit isn't as hard as what we saw would happen to Cole Caulfield when he ran into uh, the Calgary player. But the game just seems to be moving too quick for him, and it's sort of like baby steps. You know, okay, so he played the bigger ice service. I understand why they started him the season on Montreal. You want to give the kid a taste. You want to see what he can do. You want to see yeah. how things work out. But to me, at this point, it would have been made sense to me to send him to the World Juniors, like what Seattle did with Shane Wright. Have him go down there, and if he dominates down there, might give him some confidence, and maybe you do bring him back up for four or five more games and see see if there's a, a you notice some improvements 
there. And if you don't, then you send him down to Laval. But I worry that, yeah, if it, that one of these days he's going to get nailed with one of these hits. And, you know, the, the hit Caulfield took, there was nothing he could do. He got caught in the tracks. There was no way he could avoid that. But if you watch Caulfield play, he's brilliant at avoiding hits. One of the best players I ever saw at being able to avoid hits was P.K. Subban. Nobody had a bigger target on his back than him when he was on the ice. Guys yeah. tried to run through the boards. Nobody could ever get a clean shot at him because he was so good at his little spin moves, being aware of where he was on the ice, not putting himself in vulnerable positions. Sapkowski puts himself in vulnerable positions. Way St. Louis was very good at that, by the way. Too. Well, to be, all the little probably. guys are. I mean, you can't make the Paul Byron, Brandon Gallagher, yeah. all those. You, you, at that size, you don't get to the NHL. Matt Snazzle. Junior, if you, don't, Matt, if you don't learn how to protect yourself. They have to learn how to protect themselves at a young age. It's a must. Sapkowski never had to learn how to protect himself. Eric Lindros never had to learn how to protect himself. They were men when they were boys, playing against boys, and guys would bounce off of them. So now he's in a league with men, and everybody's t- – even the, the – the, Guys who aren't six foot three, two hundred pounds are strong and they hit hard. And he's, uh, you know, I've seen him get rocked. And there's a few times in the press box where he's just, I've seen him like, you can see the hit coming and he doesn't see it. And you're sort of like, oh man. And then either he doesn't see it and he gets rocked, or maybe at the last second he sees it. But he doesn't seem to be aware of the danger zones on the smaller NHL rink at the speed yeah. of the game played. And, and it's a concern. And um, you know, I. I on Twitter, people say, oh, you're so critical. I, I like Slavkowski. He's a really nice kid. I mean, we met him the day before the draft, remember, Tony? They're an old yeah, 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 we had a really awful. good personality, nice, coachable, uh, a lot to like about him. I think he's going to be a good player uh, moving forward. I still think Shane Wright's going to be a better player down the road in the NHL, but I understand why the Canadians took Slavkowski. But I think at this, I think they're, they're rushing him a little bit too much, in my opinion. I think, uh, as I said, I, I would have liked to have seen them send him to the World Junior Championship at least. Uh, Stu, who was the first one and the only one when we had a chance to talk to them at the Montreal Science Center there at the old port that got in between both of them and said, let's take a picture? Yeah. That was uh, see how many views I got on that one? Uh, yeah. Listen, I would have sent them to the World Juniors. I'm with you. Regardless of what he would have done, I would have sent them to the American Hockey League and to the Laval Rocket right after that. And my plan would have been to keep him there and to bring him back by the end of the season, maybe play the last four or five games of the season which is your message to the kid. Kid, we're finishing the season with you. You'll be on this team next year. That's the way I would have handled it, but there's a lot more smarter people than me working for the Canadians right now. We'll see what happens. You talked about the type of players that the Canadians want to bring here. And some of the types of players that they want to bring here are local players. That's why they went out and they got Mike Matheson. There are some local players who want to play in Montreal, right? They want to come home. On that note, I'm wondering if you heard um, the rumor brought forward by Max Truman of Dali Coulis and BPM Sports, 91.9 FM, who hosts a show with uh, George Larac Monday to Friday between 11 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. Did you hear who he said the Canadians are interested in? No, I did not. I've been in uh, Denver. Yeah. And- well, <laughs> He came out and he said, I have it on good information that the Canadians are interested in a young goalie. And then he came out and he said, I've been told that young goalie is Devin Levi. And so if you think about it, Devin Levi um, from DDO Quebec. University uh, player also, if I'm not mistaken. Plays plays at Northeastern with um, Jack Hughes and Riley Hughes, both of Kent Hughes' boys. So Kent, I would imagine, has seen him play very often, as many times as he's seen his, seen his yeah. kids play. He's probably seen uh, 
Devin play. He's got great intel on that team. Obviously, he doesn't have to go any f- more further than just talking to his boys. And uh, Devin Levi is um, um, is a former seventh round pick, two hundred and twelfth overall pick by the Florida Panthers. We know that he was uh, he was great at the uh, the World Junior uh, Championships a couple of years ago. Um, you know, the Buffalo Sabres acquired him and a first-round pick in the 2022 draft. <coughs> Pardon me. Still can't hear you there, Tony. I don't know if... Uh... Uh, can you hear me now? Yep. I had hit the cough button, as you can see. I'm not fully recovered yet, but I thought I was I was going to try and uh, gut it out. But anyway, it's okay. Um, Devin Levi, I was saying, acquired by the Buffalo Sabres in return for uh, Sam Reinhart and that deal that went down. But what do you what do you think it would take to get Devin Levi from the Buffalo Sabres, and would acquiring him make sense for you? It would. I, I mean speculating if the Sabres would probably want another goalie if they're giving up one. I don't know if they'd have Caden Primo or, or Montembeau or what would be involved in that. Um, but one thing Ken Hughes, I mentioned Kovacevic before, he's a guy that he knew through his university connections. Uh, he, he, I think he puts as much emphasis on the type of person a player is as what, what kind of player they are. I mean, obviously you look at the talent, but I think he wants – as, as Marty St. Louis is the everyday type of guy. I don't know Levi at all. I mean, I know about him. I, I, I don't know him. Um, but it wouldn't shock me. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if that was part of it. I mean, Caden Primo uh, also, and goalies are weird, right? We all know that. I mean, you know, develop, some develop late, some develop early, some never develop. Caden Primo has been one of those guys who's been great in the AHL and looked like a deer in the headlights every time he's come up to the NHL. Although in his defense, he wasn't playing behind a very good team last year when he got called yeah. up either. Um, the the thing with the goaltending situation, somebody asked me about this uh, the other day. Also, you know, why don't the Canes go ahead and get a goalie now? Well, they don't need to get a goalie now. They're you know, they're what they have now is fine. Uh, I think can't use as much as carry. I think he would probably like to get rid of Carry Price's contract the way he got rid of Weber's just to have that wash your hands of that. You know, that you don't need. Yeah. A, even though he's on long term injured reserve. Um, they're not in a rush for the goalie situation. Like it's not, it's not at the top of their priority list for Ken Hughes. Going back to what you were saying earlier, you know, they want goalies and give them a, a chance to win every night. They don't need a, a guy who's going to stand on his head every night for this team. Um, so I think there's other things that are much more at the top of Ken Hughes's list moving forward. We're seeing what he can get at the trade deadline. For, you know, hopefully Sean Monahan can get healthy and stay healthy. That's his biggest concern. If he can, do they get a first round pick? maybe would they get a second round pick? I would think almost certainly. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, you know, what's, how much money is going to freed up in the off season? You got Julian coming off the books, dad coming off the books, Byron, even though he's on long-term injured reserve, that comes off the books. Uh, they're going to have some money to spend. They're also going to have to sign Cole Caulfield. He's going to take a chunk of that money. Uh, they'd love to move real army as we were speaking earlier. So there's a lot of other things he needs to do. And then I think once he knows where he is with the salary cap, once he has a better feel of what's going on, uh, you know, uh, Jake Allen signed for two more years. There's your security belt, security goalie right there. And also a goalie that if you do at the trade deadline, if there's a team 
excuse me, that has goalie injuries and is looking for an experienced NHL goalie or desperate for one, you might get more than you would expect for Jake Allen if they wanted to move him. So there's a lot of, he's got a lot of moving balls. He's juggling a lot of balls right now. Can't use and but the goalie thing I think is, is not near the top of his list. And I don't think it should be right now. Just move forward with Montembeau and Jake Allen for now, and then uh, figure that thing out uh, after you figure a few other things out first. Stu, a shout-out to Playground. They have over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and Playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. You're watching the podcast right now, either on YouTube Live, on Twitter Live, or on Facebook Live. If you're not watching on YouTube, subscribe to our channel and tell your friends about it. Hit the like button. It goes a long way with us, and you can message us sick, S-I-C-K. It's our way of feeling the love. If you end up listening tomorrow, the day after, on Google, Apple, or Spotify, uh, leave us a five-star review. We will appreciate it. As I cough again. All right. I want to move on because there's some shaking and baking going on with the Montreal teams. And I'm not just talking about the Canadians here. I'm talking about the Montreal Alouettes in the Canadian Football League and CF Montreal, of course, in Major League Soccer. Let's start with the Montreal Alouettes, who a couple of days ago named Jason Moss as their new quarterback, uh, quarterback as their new uh, head coach, former quarterback. Um, he had a chance to coach um, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Tr- Trevor Harris. You can hold on a second. I'm. You can tell how much I'm suffering now, eh? uh, but anyway, it's okay. I keep saying it's okay, but it's not. Uh, okay, so Jason Moss had a chance to uh, work with Trevor Harris. He knows him well. Uh, he had a chance to work with Danny Machocha. He knows him well, and he's the coach. Your thoughts? Well, you know, Herb Zerkowski is our CFL expert at the Gazette. I follow it you know, from a, more of a distance. Uh, Jason Moss seems a, a good hire as a coach. I mean, he has a history with uh, Danny Machioso going back to Edmonton. He has experience as a head coach, knows the league well. Uh, one of the things with the CFL, it's like a revolving door of just this coach. You know, every player has played for like three different teams or four different teams, and every coach has coached three or four different teams. Uh, that's just the way that league works. So Machioso knows him. I mean, yeah. he also has Mario Ciccini thing now. He's no longer going to be president. I was following Herb on Twitter today, and he was sort of feuding a little bit with Gary Stern and, Chichini was basically pushed out the door, it seems like, although the team saying it was a mutual departure. Um, That's not mutual. It's not no, mutual. No, no. I mean, it's, it's just... It's, it's, it's not it's, mutual, and and it's BS. I mean, Mario Chichini, great job as president of the Montreal Alouettes. Here's an organization that needed some help, needed some stability. Um, he The sponsorship dollars under Chichini's watch uh, increased. Uh, season tickets increased, individual ticket sales increased, uh, fan engagement. Uh, th- there's the business community got more involved. Here's Herb's tweet: Folks don't believe for a minute the decision to move on from Al's Montreal president Mario Chikini was mutual. Yeah, Gary well, Stern, that, sorry, what they had feelings with the media, but Herb, you know nothing about what you're printing. The business with Mario was private, and I will leave it at that. I have too much respect for Mario to have you drop his name through this. But later on, Mario Cicchini, do we have it? Mm-hmm. I saw that. I never quit in the middle of the game. Herb, nobody, shouldn't go there. Let's leave it at that. Nobody covers the CFL better than Herb. And Herb is old school. The days of Red Fisher, he doesn't deal in rumors or speculation. If Herb writes something or says he knows something, he knows it. Take it to the bank. 
that's that's just the way Herb operates, the way he always has operated. It's part of the reason why the he's not maybe not the favorite person with the Alouettes because they wonder where he gets his scoops and where he gets his information. But Herb is I can't remember Herb ever being wrong on one of these things. So yeah, they didn't want Chichini there anymore, and and just say it, just come out and say we're moving in a different direction. Thank you for what you've done, and we've decided we're going to move in a different direction. We don't want the uh, Chichini's not our guy moving forward. I don't know what's wrong with just being open and honest about that. And for Gary Stern, I don't think. An owner, I don't know, you know, whatever the percentage he has of the team now, gains much by getting on Twitter and getting in feuds or stuff like that. Make your business decision and let your decision speak for themselves. Um, I don't know what he's looking to gain from that. Uh, Herb, if Herb wrote it and he said Chichini backed him up, so that 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 speaks uh, to Herb's credibility when it comes to anything like that. It was it was difficult to watch uh, the press conference introducing Jason Moss a couple of days ago because. Um, you can tell, like, Danny Machocha was distraught, like, with Mario being let go. Like, you can just tell. Um, they were very close. They worked closely together. They were getting this done together, and you can tell that Danny's distraught. You can just tell. And Gary Stern, a lot of people like following him on Twitter because, you know, he's very engaging in that respect. He'll go back and forth with fans. But Gary's just not a fit for Danny and Mario. And with all due respect to Gary, he's just not a fit to be the owner of this team. This team should have been sold to Quebec interests when it was sold. The commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, he screwed up, man. They had good Quebec groups. They had good Quebec groups with money involved, too, to, to, to purchase the team. And Eric LaPointe's group? Eric Points group, there was a couple of groups involved there, and and for whatever reason they didn't, uh, they decided not to go that way. Local ownership, I think, especially with the Alouettes, uh, is really important. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when the Alouettes were just as big or almost as big as the Canadians in this city. Wow! Uh, my eighth or ninth birthday, my parents giving me a choice: I could get an Alouettes jacket, a Canadians jacket, or an Expos jacket for my birthday, and I chose an Alouettes jacket. And I found it years ago in my mom's basement. I still have it, the green and red one, the old one. Yeah. Alouettes were huge. I remember going to the Autostad and Sonny Wade and all those guys. They were they Peter Dallariva. Peter Dallariva. I can I can name you more guys off the top of my head from the 1970s Alouettes than I could from today's Alouettes. Because and guys also stayed for a long time back then. As I mentioned earlier, I think every player in the CFL has played for almost every team. Uh, I think that's one of the problems with creating a fan base and supporters that you never know who's playing for who, you know, you turn on the game. Wasn't he with Hamilton last year? Didn't he play last time? I thought he was playing for Calgary. They just, the players just keep, and the coaches just keep revolving around, but it's, it's sad for me to see what's happened. Uh, what's happening with the, with uh, the Alouettes. And, and even with, uh, I always call them the impact. So was the CF Montreal. I guess you're going to get to that later, but yeah. for the Canadians, we're talking earlier about how the Canadians, like the management, I think they're right in the right path. I think they're doing everything correctly since Gorton and Hughes and St. Louis came over. The first step to doing that was Jeff Molson stepping away or taking a step back and bringing in Jeff Gorton. Uh, you know, Jeff Molson was basically the director of hockey operations, right? Even though he didn't have that title, he was a guy that Bergeron reported to and consulted with and everything else. And I don't know what qualifications Jeff Molson had to do that. Same as I don't know what qualifications Joey Saputo has to run a soccer team. 
or what Gary Stern has to run a football team. You hire football people and soccer people and hockey people, and you let them do their job as an owner. That's the way I would, I'd think. And Jeff Molson, whether it was, I'm still not sure if it was his personal decision to step back or if it was pressure maybe from other owners and major sponsors after what happened with the Logan Mayu fiasco, how it was mishandled afterwards. Um, but whatever happened, you no, know, Jeff Molson made a, a courageous decision to hire a unilingual American to yeah. run the Canadians. Remember the front page of the Journal de Montreal the next day? Yeah. Uh, he knew he was going to take hit, hit, uh, heat. He hired who he thought was the best hockey man available. And we've seen. Yeah. And he was very smart not to name him a GM because he knew he would have taken heat for that. So he yeah. found and a way. Bilingual GM. It's, it's just smart. Right? But Brilliant. the first, the, the most important first move in what's happening with the Canadians was Jeff Molson taking a step back. And I think for the Alouettes and for the Impers, CF Montreal, whatever they're called now, would be to for Joey Saputo to take a step back. I and mean, we look, he basically drove a really good coach out of town. And for Gary Stern and whoever else owns the team to just step back and let the football people make the decisions and let the soccer people make the decisions and let the franchise yeah. move in that way. We'll get to uh, CF Montreal in just a second. But um, once again, I'm I'm worried. You know, Gary, Gary Stern is saying that uh, they're willing to sell 10 to 90 percent um, to local interests. I mean, sell the whole team like, yeah. you know, like this whole thing with the team belonging to the estate. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, and, and well, by the you... way, we, we talked about Gary, but if Gary alone wanted Mario Cicchini out, it wouldn't have happened. Obviously, he was able to convince members of the estate. It's the estate that wanted it. And that's why it happened. But this whole estate thing, it, it just it doesn't make sense. They shouldn't own the Montreal Alouettes. And they're trying to get closer to the business community and trying to get closer to the fans with a family that in an estate that lives out of Toronto and is not very present. It just doesn't make any well, sense to me. You, you go back to when Larry Smith was running the Alouettes, and I, Larry was my boss for a while at the Gazette when he was publisher at the Gazette. Yeah. Larry knew the Montreal community and knew the Montreal business people, and he got that's how they ended up. A big reason why they ended up selling out Molson Stadium, getting those extra seats out, is Larry Smith knew the community. He knew how important it was to bring the French community into the Alouettes. Because when I was talking about the Alouettes in the 70s, they were an English team. It was English Montreal supported the Alouettes. It wasn't a big Francophone. There was no French university football back then. At times, of, Larry Smith did a lot to change that and, and get that going that way. And I think that's why it's so important to have a local ownership group. And the way it is now with the, the estate or whatever, it reminds me, remember that, line in the Slapshot movie, who owns the Chiefs? Yeah. We knew who owned the Chiefs, right? The the, the Slapshot movie. And it's sort of like with the Alouettes. So who owns the Alouettes now? Like, who owns them? Well, Gary Stern's the guy on Twitter or whatever, but he's only a, a small percentage. It's the estate. who Who's running? It's just sell the whole team, get a local ownership group in there, and try and, and get the Alouettes back to what they were when they were packing Olsen Stadium all the time, adding seats, uh, winning Grey Cups, and and uh, I'd love to see it happen. I think it's, uh, you know, Montreal has become a Canadian city 12 months of the year, uh, seven days a week, and it's almost like a sickness that every people cannot get enough of the Canadians. But Montreal will be a much more healthy sports environment if the other teams i mean i was in denver yes you know denver the nuggets played the night before yeah. the avalanche played the next day There's so much sports going on the alouettes needed and and cf montreal are, are losing relevance in the city and uh, that's not a good thing for sports in Montreal. no it's not a good thing and that's why you know and i and i just sent out a message to those who are watching right now and i appreciate everyone watching 
and everyone supporting um, the um, the podcast. See, a gentleman says, Alouettes and soccer, boo, goodbye. Goodbye? Block them. I don't want you part of the community. But that's you but Tony, no, but, but no. Tony, but that's the reality. It's the reality of Montreal and the Alouettes. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to change it. But, but no, but Tony, Tony, don't blame the fans. Blame the Alouettes and CF Montreal for create making themselves. From a media standpoint, CF Montreal has been horrible to deal with as far as trying to get interviews. Or it's harder to get an interview with somebody on CF Montreal than it is to get an interview with somebody on the Canadians. That's a big problem. Uh, it's much, it's Al- much, it's much better now than it has been. Yeah, but with the and, and with the Alouettes, it's just when you don't operate your franchise well, people aren't going to care about it as much. So I don't blame Montreal sports fans for for not caring as and and rightly. I mean, we the Gazette website we write uh, stories about CF Montreal. There are very little people, few people read. You can't force people to want to cheer for a team and want to go to games. You got to make them want to go. I, I look, look, I understand that, but Stu, uh, so we're going to, we're going to agree to disagree. And I agree with a lot of what you said, but, but here's something that I really believe. Okay. The media hasn't helped Stu. The media wants to talk about the Montreal Canadians 12 months a year. Well, the reason the media, 65 the, days. The a reason year, why right? is because people read about the Canadians. People watch the Canadians People listen to the Canadians and people don't read about the Alouettes or the impact or whatever as much as they do. So it's just a simple, I mean, there was a day in the newspaper business when I was sports editor years ago, I think we had about eight reporters. We had full-time guys on different things. Now we have three reporters and it's the same, not just at the Gazette, it's all sports media. So you're going to focus your coverage on what is going to attract the most readers or viewers. But it's always, but you're right, but it's always going to be the Canadians. When the Expos are still in town, I used to joke, and it was sort of joking, but it was probably true. If the Canadians played a softball game at the Big O, they would have got more fans than the Expos were getting. They were getting like 5,000 fans. And it's it's a reality. And it's just the way this city is. It's 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 But the Canadians, have, but the Canadians have, have also made themselves, you know, when they had the 24 CH and they had all these other things going on, and even when they weren't winning, people were interested in the Canadians and people wanted to follow the Canadians. So if, if your business... If your business, whatever it is, is a sports team or you're selling soft drinks or you're selling beer or whatever, if people don't want to buy it or people aren't interested in it, they're not interested in it. You can't force I, I, I just I, I think Montreal's a terrible sports town. Everyone talks Habs. Yeah. They only talk Habs. There's mm-hmm. only so much you can talk about a fourth line and Michael Pozzetta and Jake Evans and Yoel Armia not scoring but, a goal. You say yeah. it, I say but it, Tony. the other guy says it, the other girl says it, the other person but, says what were we impact, When the impact went out and got DJ Drogba. Yeah, there's never been a response to any athlete ever in Montreal history that got a welcome like he did at the airport. I remember covering impact games. There was people lined up four deep behind the fence in the parking lot, yeah. yelling at him, trying to get a glimpse of him. It was a place to be, right? You wanted to be a to put. I know friends of mine have yeah. never been to a soccer game. They went to a soccer game because they wanted to watch DJ Drogba. Yeah, most of my friends who are big sports fans couldn't name you one player on the on FC CF Montreal. Marco Devio. I play hockey with a bunch of guys on Monday nights. We played for years yes. at LCC. We used to go to a little restaurant, a bar restaurant on Monkland Avenue afterwards, have a couple of beers, something to eat. 15 of us, all sports guys, all Montreal sports fans. Marco DeVaio, I got there, and he was sitting in, at a table in the back with some friends having wine or whatever or something to eat. I noticed him. Oh, that's kind of cool. The second week we were there, he was there. Like three weeks in a row he was there. So I said to all the guys at the table, you guys know who that is over there? Nobody had a clue. 
Nobody had a clue. Did they market him? They didn't market him when he was here. Unfortunately, they did not do a good enough job in the past of marketing their stars. Well, Marco DeVaio can right. walk down the street in Italy, I'm sure. <clears throat> you're right. Mob. And in Montreal, he could sit in a restaurant with 20 sports fans, hockey fans more than others, but sports fans, and they had no idea who he was. When DJ Drogba was with the Impact, I begged for a month to get a one-on-one interview with him to do a big feature story on him in the Gazette and they wouldn't, that didn't happen. I never got it. We couldn't do it. So is it the media's fault that the, we can't get an interview with a guy when we want to do a story with him? Or is it the team's fault with the way they, they handle it again? So it's, it, I, I, I won't blame much sports fans can spend their money on whichever teams they want and go see whatever yeah. teams they want. And if they're not interested in going to see the Alouettes and the impact, it's up to them to make fans want to go. And when they brought Drogba in, fans wanted to go. Yeah, look, I was lucky enough to have Marco DiVaio in studio. Yes, it didn't happen right away. It took a while. Uh, I was lucky enough to interview DDA Drogba at the training facility. It happened very, very late in the season. It didn't happen as early as I wanted it to. And unfortunately for Alessandro Nesta, I was never able to interview him because... Oh, there you uh, go. I was, so so now, who's... So, so whose fault is that? The media or the fans' fault? I, I understand fault? that. Now, but I have a question for you, though. As much as DeVaio was good, very good, and as much as Drogba for that one season, the first season, he was great, yeah. okay? If you turned on sports radio, would you hear anyone talking about DeVaio or Drogba? They would always talk about the Montreal Canadiens because if you're lazy, you can get away with talking about one team. That's no. it. I I'll, I disagree with you on that front, Tony. If you're everything's, we can monitor. I can tell you exactly how many people read any story on the Gazette website, or how how much time they spent on it, how many people read it, what they read. If our website, if we write five Canadian stories, they'll all five stories will be among the most ten read stories on the entire website, not just sports, the entire yes. website. So, as media gets smaller, fewer people in the media. In sports media, just the way the business has gone, you're going to focus the smaller people you have. As I said, we used to have Randy Phillips used to cover university sports on almost a full-time beat for the Gazette back in the day when we had 12-page sports sections and eight reporters. Times have changed. Business has changed. Realities have changed. And the media can't cover everything. So the media is going to cover what fans want to read about or what they want to watch about. So it's not – I don't think it's being lazy. I think it's just focusing – the coverage on what people want to read and what people want to hear about and what people want to talk about. And in Montreal, people want to read and people want to talk about the Canadians and it's up to the Alouettes and CF Montreal to give fans a reason to want to watch them. And the Alouettes have shown when the Alouettes win in this city, Canadians are the only team thing in the, in the, in this city where if people will follow them whether they win or lose. I, I've, I've wondered sometimes if there's more interest when they're losing or more interest when they're winning because people get upset when they lose. People get happy when they win. And Montreal is such an event and star-driven town. The Grand Prix is massive. I've always said, if you if you interviewed fans going into the Grand Prix, 150,000, I bet you three-quarters of them couldn't name four F1 Formula One drivers. They go there because it's an event. Tennis is an event. It's something to go to. They make it They make it appealing to go there. 
the Alouettes and, and CF Montreal need to make it appealing. And, and when they brought in Drogba, it was appealing. People wanted to go see him. They, they don't have a star player. Look, I, I, I just think that um, a lot of people have an opinion about soccer. You're right. Uh, you know, I can't change it. Uh, they don't want to change it. Hockey's bigger, faster, this, that, whatever. I got a message from someone a couple okay. of days ago. Okay, let me just, let me just hockey's so much better than soccer because it has fighting. Hockey's okay, me, better than soccer because it has fighting. Well, people are going to think that way. But sort of, I mean, let me put it this way. So your podcast or anybody's podcast, yeah. if you're talking about, so I'm sure you can measure how many listeners or people are watching the show. If you spent the whole show talking about CF Montreal yeah, and you saw, I don't know, I'll throw in a thousand people watched. Okay. Yeah. And then you did a whole show talking about the Canadians and 10,000 people watched. Well, yeah, I could tell you right now, we've done podcasts where we talked hockey and got 50,000 views yeah. and talk soccer and got 500 views. Yeah, well, that's right. so, so now your sponsors, you need sponsors, right? Are your yeah. sponsors going to sponsor a show that has 500 viewers? I understand. No. But, but if we oh. stop talking soccer or talk about it, not much, because the numbers are so much less than hockey, mm-hmm. we're always going to be a one sports city in this t- in the, a one sports team in this city. It's never going to change. That's the re- I don't think it ever is going to change. I think it's a well, reality. well, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try so that it does for the benefit of all of us, so that all of us can have a job for as long as possible. Because there's more teams to talk about, and so that we can give the listener and the viewer variety. We're talking about what car the Canadians coach yeah, but, drives but, in the month but, of August. Tony, you, can't, you can't force viewers. You're gonna what? you're gonna you're gonna, we, walk, we you're gonna listen to me talk about soccer. You're gonna listen to me talk about soccer because I want you to listen to me talk about soccer. Gonna, if they don't want it, they're gonna change the channel. It's like if we if we put stuff on our website that people are interested in reading, they're gonna go read another website somewhere else. So it's again, it's professional sports, their businesses, and and the Alouettes. And CF Montreal have not yeah. been run well as businesses. Whether they're a soccer team or a football team or a beer company or a, a t-shirt company, they haven't run their businesses well. And when you're in a market where you're already, you got Goliath up here, the Canadians, and you're David down here, you got to do everything right to try and, and get up to, to make yourselves relevant. And, and the Alouettes have been relevant when they're winning great cups. And the impact was relevant when Drogba was here. And I mean, I remember going to those games at Saputo Stadium. It was fun. It was great. It was, it was, I mean, Saputo Stadium is always a fun place to go. I enjoy going there and watching the games, but it's a lot more fun when there's a star player that people know, a worldwide star. And again, there has never been DJ Drogba and, and my personal dealings with him. I thought he was a, yeah. he was a jerk to deal with personally. That's the way I thought. I think a lot of media people did also, but he was a massive star. And, mm-hmm. People in this, he's the biggest sports star. Uh, the, the two biggest sports stars to, to be in Montreal or play in Montreal are Georges St. Pierre and yeah. DJ Drogba. Those are two guys. Carey Price can go leave Canada. Carey Price went to China. Nobody would know who he was. Of course not. Of course. But they not. would know who Drogba was and they know who Georges St. Pierre was, right? They're worldwide yeah. stars. And I look around MLS and you see star players come. There's, I don't think there's a city anywhere in MLS that is more interested in having star players than Montreal. And you can look at what's happened in Toronto, the players that Toronto has brought in compared to what Montreal has brought in. And, you know, the Saputos don't want to spend the money on the star players. If they have a lot of money, they don't want to spend money on the players. Uh, that's their choice. That's the way they run their business. Well, uh, and, I, and I understand that. And we know that getting a star player sells for sure. But, 
you know, Toronto got two star players last year and they invested more in those two players than CF Montreal did in their entire team. And Toronto didn't make the playoffs and CF Montreal yeah, finished second but, and third overall. But, it, but Toronto's you know, more relevant. TFC is more relevant in Toronto than FC Montreal is in Montreal. Yes. Yes, noted. But I'll, I remember I'll, when, I'll, I remember I'll, when, but I'll make when, the argument that Toronto's a much better sports city than Montreal is. Montreal's a like once again, Montreal's a one team yeah. city. It's not a sports city. It's well, it's also first, part, of that, and third, part of that's business. Fifth. Part of that's business wise too, Tommy. There's so much yeah. business, so much money in Toronto that they can afford season tickets for the Raptors and the and the Blue Jays and the Leafs and the CF yeah. Montreal. I mean, the Canadians. In the Montreal economy, in the Montreal market, the Canadians suck up most of the corporate money for season ticket sales and whatnot. And that's a that's a big problem for the other teams. Yeah. Also, but I remember when bunch when the Impact played uh, Toronto in the I guess it was the Eastern Final. I guess maybe five six years ago, and I remember I went to Toronto to cover the game. What burn yeah, yeah. And a buddy of mine told me uh, there was a pub. I can't remember. There's a Lions Den. Or the Biello Lions, coaching. Yeah. yeah, Biello was coaching. That's right. And yeah. The pub near near the stadium. Um, What's the name of the stadium where Toronto plays? I can't uh, BMO? BMO Field. Yeah. Maybe a 20-minute walk from BMO Field. So my buddy who lives in Toronto told me, before you go to the game, you got to go to this pub and see the scene there. So I go to the pub. I get there. Remember what it's hours. called? You remember the name? The Lion, it's the Lions something. Lions Den or Lions. Uh, if you do it, maybe search uh, TFC pub or home pub. It, it, it's Lions. Stuff. Anyway, I went there. Yeah. And I got there maybe four hours before the game. There's, uh, there's the Lions Den Bar and Grill on Jane that's Street. Probably, that's probably that's the place then. Okay. So I, I went there. I got there maybe four hours before the game. I was having lunch. And then all of a sudden, all the TFC people started coming in. And they all had on the sweaters. And they all had on the scarves. And what really struck me is that, one, how young they were. Two, how many women there were. Three, how many different ethnic groups there were. Yeah. They all had they all had either a scarf or a shirt or both or a jacket. They were decked out in red. They're there. They're having a party. They're having beers. They're having food. Then, about an hour before the game, they all march to the stadium together. They yeah. got flares going. It was awesome. It was said, "This is so cool." Yeah. Why doesn't CF Montreal try and create something like that? Or an environment where it's fun for fans to go before the game. Why don't they have somewhere outside the stadium where there's a? a, a they started a tailgate, but they don't. You know, it's not. It's not again, the greatest. It's not the no, greatest. No, but again, so, so don't. So if you're, I wish it would have been downtown. You know, that's a big reason why TFC is is popular with fans. Is it's a fun thing to go. It's not just the game. Yeah, it's before the game and after the game. So I mean, I was as I, I walked with this group up to. I think I mentioned in my story that I wrote that day. I walked them up and I said, "This is really cool. This is a team that's created." And and young, as I said, diverse. Yeah, a lot of women uh, that were obviously TFC fans, and they were spending money not only on tickets but on scarves and sweaters and everything else. So that's that. Yeah, is a well-run sports franchise. But and I'm going to is more more of an impact in, in Toronto yeah. than CF Montreal has in Montreal. I'm going to tell you something that does give me a lot of pleasure, Stu. All right, and I'm really happy about this. Is that We've been talking about the Alouettes and CF Montreal now probably for the last half hour and talked about the Canadians for the first 40 minutes of the show, okay? Mm -hmm. um, between YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, we probably have a good 500 people watching right now, which is kind of cool. So it just goes to show that there are some fans that want to hear about all the sports. And you know mm -hmm. what? Time flies when you're having fun, Stu. I can't believe you were about to go out tonight in Dallas, 
And I, I kept you on for an, an hour and 10 minutes now talking. Like, I just... Well, it's it's, it's a lot no warmer in than it is outside here. I'll tell you that for sure. I have no idea the way the time flew tonight, but it, it kind of reminded me of when I was in studio and actually hosting my own show, get to talk Montreal Canadians, get to talk Montreal Louettes, get to talk CF Montreal, get to talk fans, have a debate, have a discussion. I don't know if you and I have ever actually disagreed on more points than we did tonight. It was kind of Absolutely. Cool. That's great. That's, that's as I saw when, when uh, readers read my columns and they say, I totally disagree. That's, that's great. That's perfect. That's fine. Start the bit. Sports is a matter of opinion, yeah. right? It's, it's respect it's, each other and respect. I respect your opinion. You respect my opinion. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, a shout out. Hopefully to, you uh, learn something from what I say. And I know I learned stuff from what you say. So it's, uh, it's all good. A hundred percent. A shout out to Erickson audio, the sick podcast with Tony Marineros task cam equipment is supplied by Erickson audio, the choice of musicians, engineers, and broadcast professionals. I won't keep you much longer. No, but but anything, again, so just, just to follow up what you're saying, you and I enjoy talking to Alouettes with you. I enjoy talking to CF Montreal with you. I enjoy talking to Ainsworth, but you can't force people to stay listening. If somebody decides uh, you're talking soccer, I don't want to listen anymore. That's if they decide to change the channel. That's yeah. No, I hear you, I but I them. can't force people to be interested in something. No, you can't. You're right, but um, and at the same time, though, I'm you know I'm not going to be dictated by hey, you talk hockey or else I'm tuning out. Well, if that's mm-hmm. you know. Uh, if that's the way you want to handle it. I mean, I like for everyone to stick around as well, but I'm, I'm, you know, going forward, I, I don't want this to be a one sport channel. Why? Because I care about our city too much. Mm-hmm. I don't want our city just to be a one sports team because we already lost one sports team. Yeah. I don't want to lose a second. And I certainly don't want it to be a third after. Yeah. You know, yeah, and the way things are going, that could become a reality. I mean, the ownership of, I mean, as I say, I mean, the Saputos have more money than, you know, I think, I think the the, the football, the soccer team's a toy for them. Uh, The Alouettes is not necessarily the same situation. Um, But, but, you know, moving forward, it'd be interesting to see what happens with the ownership of the Alouettes. Uh, You know, when when Robert Wettenhall was owning the team, it was, it was a toy for him, right? He was a really rich guy who liked owning a sports team and it was sort of, he had fun. He had fun running it. It's like when George Gillette bought the Canadians. It was sort of a toy for him, right? He, he was. He saw a good business opportunity. He bought the team. He was a huge fan, and uh, and and that's the way he went about it. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens at the Alouettes ownership thing. I agree with you. I think they need to get a local ownership group in here. Yeah, people understand them. Montreal's a unique market, and and part of understanding that unique market is understanding how powerful the Canadians are and how much they dominate the landscape as far as media and the reason they dominate the media landscape is because that's what fans want to read about and want to listen about and want to talk about so yeah. you got you got to work to make fans want to be interested in your product if i was jeff molson i'd buy the other ones. um i don't think that would happen it'd be a sort of a competition for for his other business but uh, they sort of need I mean, there's the thing is, there's, there's football people in town that were interested the last time that Alouettes were up for yeah. sale about the team. A and, lot of the Alouettes. It might, be, it might not be one really rich guy, but it's a group of five or six rich guys who combined have enough money to, uh, to, to own the team. And the thing for business guys, successful business people have, um, you know, they have a bit of an ego probably, you know, they're, they're successful people. Uh, they get talked about a lot more when they own a sports 
franchise, right? They're sort of, uh, Jeff Molson only owned Molson or only ran Molson. People wouldn't talk about him that much, right? They talk about him a lot because he owns the Canadians. Uh-huh. Uh, Mark Cuban, people talk about him a lot more so because he owns sports teams and just because he owns a business. And I think for a lot of really rich businessmen, that's part of why they want to own a sports team. When you when you say competition, though, for Jeff Molson, yes and no, because the season runs from like June to the end of October and, you know, the hockey season actually starts at the beginning of October. Yes, there's preseason games, but at most, you know, both sports would be going on at the same time for what, four or five Alouettes games, not more than that. So whoever the new ownership group for the Alouettes is, I'll give them one piece of advice. Yeah, I'm saying this as a fan who took his son to an Alouette, two, a couple of Alouettes games this year, paid for my tickets, went to the games, went to the concession stand, and was shocked how much they were charging for a beer and a hot dog and stuff. I was like, I think it was like 13 bucks or something for beer. I was like, really? And the thing is, we can talk about the Canadians again. The Canadians can get away with that because so many of, so much of the season tickets at the are corporate tickets at the Bell Centre, right? So I have my own company, Tony. I have two season tickets Five rows behind the Canadians bench, they're 300 bucks a pop or whatever they are. I give them to you. Tony, take one of your sons, take your wife, go to the game, have a great night. You didn't pay for the tickets, right? Uh-huh. You go to the game, a beer is 15 bucks. That's all right. I didn't pay for the tickets. I'll pay 15, but I'll drop 150 bucks on beer and hot dogs or whatever. Yeah. I didn't pay for the tickets. The Alouettes, most people go to the Alouettes games paid for their tickets. So you paid for your tickets and you get there and then they're charging you 12 bucks for a beer and five bucks for a hot dog and whatever. And the team is, and you're like, you know what? I don't think I'm going back. So if I was running the Alouettes, I'd have some kind of a package where you get a, a beer and a hot dog or something for well, 10 bucks or you get a, your kid can get two hot dogs and a bag of chips for a reasonable price. And I think that would be a big business step for them because people Go to the game with whatever disposable income they have, right? So if yeah. you have 40 bucks to spend and you, you get two beers for 40 bucks or whatever, you're not very likely to go back. Mm-hmm. But if you can get for 40 bucks, you can get your kid a couple of hot dogs and a bag of chips and a Coke and yourself a beer and enjoy the day, you're probably going to go back. Yeah. And you're going to spend the same 40 bucks. So, so to me, if I, was, if I was to give one piece of advice to the Alouettes as someone who went to a couple of games this year and paid for my tickets and paid for my beers and paid for everything else, I would say make your concession stands a little bit more affordable and you might get more family. The, one of the games I went to with my son this year, it was about, oh, it was like 35 degrees. It was so hot. It was so hot. And we we're sitting uh, corner seats in the end zone. And there's a family of four in front of us. And I might be wrong, but I think they were charging five seventy five for a bottle of water. Uh-huh. For a bottle of water. Yeah. And he in front of me with his wife and his two kids. They, they were dying in the heat. He went and he came back with four bottles of water. And I said, that guy just spent like 30 bucks for four bottles of water. What are the odds he's going to bring his family back to another game? Probably pretty slim, I would think. So Unless not, he's got a lot of money. Yeah. 23 yeah. bucks on four bottles yeah. of water. Yeah, yeah. A lot. But it was so hot. It was so hot, Tony. It wasn't, it was like not an option. And the other thing they do, at, I got to tell you, out of all the, the things, other thing they do most stand, though, and my son, because I, my son, I bought him a bottle of water at one point. Yeah. We went to the bathroom, but in the sinks there, they they run the water runs warm, so you can't refill your water bottle if you want to get a drink from the from the. So it's to me, it's just like that that sort of uh, as a paying fan going to a game that I found was a little much. I, I understand that a lot of businesses make a lot of money at concession stands, especially movie theaters. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, when I go to a sporting events, you're out of everything to buy there. 
it's the bottle, it's the price for water that bothers me the most because yeah. I know that if I go to the grocery store, mm-hmm. I can buy 24 to 28 bottles of water mm-hmm. for anywhere between $3.99 and $4.99. Yeah. Yeah. And so knowing that, you know, the price of one bottle at a concession stand at a game is probably about 75% more than a case of 28, mm-hmm. it really bothers me. And as again, the, the it, when it's a different a different fan going to an Alouette's game than it is the fan going to the Canadians game. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, in ending, in, in a minute if you can, because I'm already taking up a lot of your time. Did you have a chance to see uh, CF Montreal's presser today announcing Hernan Losada? I just uh, read him, coach. I didn't. I read Herb's. I was I was at the airport all day today. My flight okay. was yeah. supposed to be at nine twenty from Denver, and it yeah. left. Two in the afternoon. I, just, I read Herb's uh, story on it um, before I, I went on the air with you here. So that's yeah. I just, what I read from the stories. I didn't see. That I think he put a lot of people at ease though, because right away he came in, addressed everyone in French, in a pretty good French, as a matter of fact. And I think that made a lot of people happy. Number one, of members of the media that were there, because if they're not getting their clips in French, chances are they're not going to end up playing the clips on their show because then they would have to translate, and then it's too much work. You see when I tell you that some of the media is well, spoiled here in the city? I, I was hoping, I was personally hoping they were going to bring Moro Biello back. Wouldn't be surprised if he was in the mix. Because I, I, from when I was covering them and Moro was the coach, I had a lot of respect for Moro. I thought he was a, uh, I'm not a soccer tactician, so as far as his coaching abilities, I mean, he got a team that went well in the playoffs. He yeah. also showed... Big you-know-whats when he benched G.J. Drogba. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. That was in the second season, yeah. Italian boy from NDG uh, benching a world superstar player. And uh, I asked him what he said. He had to. Like, he had to. It, it just wasn't going over well in the locker. And then they won after he did that. So when they got rid of Moro, I was like, here's a local guy who understands the market, mm-hmm. uh, trilingual, you know, I'm sure he's Italian, English, French, great with the media, yeah, uh, a local guy gets the market, understands everything. Yeah, had success with the team, and then they got rid of him. And I was like, was, yeah, that's that surprised me when they made that move. He played uh, Matteo well, Mancosu ahead of uh, ahead of Drogba, but at that point, uh, Piatti was rocking and rolling though, like he was one of the yeah. best players in the league. But, but for more, I, 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 as I mean, you know a lot more about soccer than I do, Tony. Uh, but I was uh, I was sort of hoping they would bring Morrow back, and I think it would have been a good move yeah. for the team as far as uh, uh, for the media, as far as having a coach people know. How many people in Montreal know who this coach is? Yeah, unless you're uh, not too many. Unless you're not, big, I'd, not too many. I'd, I'd, ne- I'd never heard of him before. I mean, I mean, he coached he coached in Belgium second division for 15 months, and he coached uh, DC United. In the MLS for 15 months, says not too many people know about him. But yeah. you know and what? He comes in. He said he played as a number 10 for about 15 years. Offensive player. He likes offensive soccer. Uh, um, Olivier Renard said that he remembers the two games they played versus DC United with Losada coaching. They tied one, and DC United won the other one. And in both games, um, DC United had about 20 shots to Montreal's four or five, and he says they were totally dominated with what Renard thought was an inferior roster. So anyway, well, he, but, said but a lot of, he said a lot of good stay, things today. To stay on that point, people don't know who he is. The average Montreal sports fan, as I said, with Devayo being at the restaurant, 
have no idea who most of these guys on the impact are. And you're talking about the media. A couple of summers ago, before COVID, I started doing a feature. It was my Montreal. And it was sitting down with uh, Montreal athletes and not talking about sports. But what's your, what do you like most about the city? What's your, I did one on George Larac with his vegan yeah, restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that. I remember that. And I did one with Evan Bush, goalie. Yeah. With the impact. Yeah. And he had a little favorite coffee shop he liked out in Point Clare Village. And we went out there. Yeah. And uh, the impact PR guy felt he's he had. He's a great had, chat, by the way. He's a great chat. He's, I, I, Evan Bush is one of my favorite athletes I've ever dealt with in any yeah. sport. Really, yeah. really good guy. And the impact PR guy showed up because he was afraid we might ask some time. Who knows? Anyway. But it went, it went well, and if you people who are interested, if you Google it, uh, you'll be able to find it. And he, I met his kids afterwards, and we did a nice video of his kids having ice cream. It's a really nice human interest story. Good for us, good for the Gazette. That it's, it's something a little bit different, showing a, an American guy talk about how he came here, he lived here year-round, his kids were learning French. Just a nice sort of human interest story, right? And letting Montreal fans know about somebody who doesn't play for the Canadians, what he's like. Good all around, right? Uh-huh. I tried to do two or three more, and the impact wouldn't make guys available to me. So you know what? Right. So it's easy to blame the media, Tony, but uh, you know, we did one, and everything went well. There was no complaints. And then I think I, I asked to get the coach, and I asked to get another player, and it was like, no. And then, well, this guy's available. Well, I, nobody knows it. No, it was, anyway, so it was just another, it was, it's another case yeah. of it's easy to just say, uh, oh, the media doesn't cover this, the media doesn't cover that. There's sometimes a lot of stories in the background that go along with it. I hear you. Did you always get interviews for the Canadians? Uh, the Canadians are the Canadians. Are, it's easier to get an interview with the Canadians than it is to get an interview with you. Go to a, I mean, I didn't cover CF Montreal this year. I think I maybe did one game. Herb and Pat did most of them. But mm-hmm. you go to one of their practices and they bring out two players and the coach. So everybody gets the exact same quotes, everybody gets the same story. Nobody gets anything different. You go to Canadians practice, you can talk to whoever you want. There you yeah. I always try and talk to the guy that nobody else is talking to, so I get something different. Of course. So there's, yeah. access, there's much more access at a Canadians practice to players uh, than there, or a, after a game even, than there is at the uh, uh, Montreal soccer team game. Yeah. Listen, hopefully, uh, President Gabriel Gervais is paying attention and uh, he's a pretty smart guy, and maybe they can make some of those necessary changes. Stu, I, I don't know how to thank you. <laughs> a couple of days before Christmas Eve in Dallas, when you could have gone out to stay back in the hotel to talk to me for about an hour and 20 minutes now, I'm actually blown away. I'm very appreciative, Stu. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to wish you a very Merry Christmas. So I guess you're covering the game in Dallas tomorrow. And yes, if you want to do something for me, put out some good wishes and maybe I'll get my flight home Christmas Eve because right now the way the weather is, I'm hoping, uh, my wife's hoping I can get home for Christmas Eve. So my flight's supposed to be at 11 o'clock, I think, out of Dallas. I, I hope. At four. So hopefully that all works out. I, I, I hope you will, Stu, not only so that you can see your wife and you can see your son and you can see your daughter, but you can see your dogs, which includes a beautiful <laughs> lab, which I think you picked up a couple. Of yes, ago, we adopted right? her. Uh, we adopted her about a week before I left. So uh, my wife and my kids have been absolutely fantastic. She's an 11 month old puppy. Uh, her name's Missy. She lost an eye. Uh, wow. That's how she ended up uh, at Rosie Animal Adoption. If anybody was ever looking to adopt an animal, I cannot recommend Rosie Animal Adoption enough. They're on Facebook. Uh, she'd been up for adoption for quite a while. You know how much I love dogs, Tony. And yeah. Near Christmas, and I said to my wife, uh, somebody's got to adopt this dog. I've had a black lab before. They're the best dogs in the world. They're so smart. 
We adopted her. She's fantastic. My wife and kids have been taking care of her this week. I'm looking forward to getting home, see my wife, see my kids, and see our new dog also. Ah, that's great. Stu, uh, we're going to keep our fingers crossed for you and that, uh, you know, you'll be able to get back home to your family on Christmas Eve and that everyone watching, you'll be able to enjoy Christmas Eve with your family as well. Thanks, Stu. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you and your family, Tony, and get better. Thank you. Thank you. That's a deal. All right. Um, Look, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you once again for for all the support. It's about two years now, and uh, I think we're getting bigger and better every day. And um, truth be told, I wasn't 100% tonight. Uh, I wasn't 90%. I wasn't even 80%. I'm probably about 50%. I'm pretty much getting through the whole thing just like on adrenaline. And um, I'm talking because if I don't talk, I'll make a fool out of myself. But it's going to be our last show before Christmas. I think we're going to take off for a couple of days. And so I really wanted to be a part of it so I can wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. I don't know if we can bring Agnello and Sammy on now because... It's late, and I don't know if they're wearing their PJs or not, but if I can, guys, if you can come on. What's up, Tony? There, there we go. Okay. I was wondering if you uh, – all right, okay. You're still there. Good. No PJs on. Agnello, uh, you got the brains of the operation there uh, to your side. What are we doing here over the next couple of days? Are we going to – We're going to go on tomorrow night. Hopefully you come on with Matt and then we're going to take a couple of days off and we'll come back on the 28th and 29th when the Habs play again. All right. Okay. So we're back tomorrow. Okay, yep. good. All Habs. right. Yeah. The Habs play tomorrow night and then we have the Habs the 28th and the 29th. Yes. The uh, 28th and the 29th. All right. So, yeah. So uh, Matt's scheduled to be, I'll make an appearance tomorrow. Yeah. I'll join Matt. Yeah. Matt's, no problem. Matt said you owe him anyway. So I owe him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, I owe him. I don't have a problem with that. You want to know why? Why? Because this doesn't seem like work to me because I love doing it. Exactly. All right, so why don't we do that tomorrow night, same time, same place. Thanks for watching, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow night, one more night, and then we're going to take a couple of days off during the Christmas holidays, and then we'll return again on the Wednesday. So be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Be true to yourself. I always am. I'm Marinero. Tell your friends about it. Say the podcast and the host, it's pretty sick. It's funny to think that I actually was really sick for the last four or five days. I always knew I was sick, but now I was really sick. Anyway, have a good night. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you.